Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Morning again, everybody. It is September 5th, and you know what that means. Only 21 shopping days left until Christmas, right? Christmas is right around the corner. And that brings me to one of my fondest Christmas memories, watching Scrooge every year, the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, one of the great, great uh, works of English literature, I think. Remember the curmudgeonly, the miserly, the miserable Scrooge, right? But also remember Christmas morning when Scrooge throws open those window shutters, he is transformed formed by the ministrations of God. He is generous, kind, full of life, just exploding with, with love for his neighbors and proceeds to buy the biggest turkey for Tiny Tim's family. Besides Jesus himself, besides the, the grace of God, the wonder of God coming to earth and to us in flesh and blood, making a fresh start. This transformation like Scrooge went through really, I think, is the greatest theme of all of Christian faith. It's the greatest gift of Christian faith. It's the greatest way to live life to the fullest. It's the personal journey that we are all on trying to put the challenges of the past behind us and live for today with hope in the future by trusting God, right? This is the big, the big thing. The Bible offers this to us. It prompts us toward this. It instructs us in this over and over and over again. The greatest event of ancient Jewish faith was God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt and guiding them into the promised land. Remember what's been called a meta-narrative, an incredible overarching historical event, leaving the past behind, living for today, hoping in the future by trusting God. And God gets very personal about this, not just using big metaphors, but He told his people along the way as they were marching across the desert to literally leave their idols behind, these little statues or amulets of pagan gods. He said, hey, throw those out of your backpacks. You're supposed to be trusting me to be transformed. Then God sent the prophets to tell his people and to tell us about this transformation again and again, and again, like Ezekiel, who said God would replace our hearts of stone, that is, hearts that are hardened by sin and selfishness, with hearts of flesh, hearts of feeling and yearning and potential, by giving us a new spirit, the still small voice of Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, that would make our hearts new. The imperative for us to move on from the past and trust God with today and the future echoes 
through the New Testament as well. We're told to put off what's called the old man, our old identity of sin, and put on the new man, our new identity in Christ. It is done spiritually by God. We are forgiven, but our part is to trust God, to seek and follow the guidance of that Holy Spirit that Ezekiel was talking about. Then there's slavery and redemption. We are redeemed from slavery, the slavery of sin, by Jesus' sacrifice and given a life of freedom. Or perhaps the most extreme image that gives an idea of really how big and transformational this all is, the idea of being reborn, of being born again through faith, through accepting the gift of God's grace, getting to know Jesus, we can live out life in a new way, no matter what happened in the past, no matter how much we've been like Scrooge, right? But therein lies the big question, living it out. How do we live it out? What are we supposed to do specifically or not do specifically to leave the old me behind and be and become what we want to be and what God wants us to be, freed from sin, liberated from anxiety, able to navigate conflict, and sharing the love of Christ with others. If there was a prize for most practical author in the Bible, it might be given to James, because he gives us so much real and workable advice about living out this new life. Everyday stuff, common sense stuff, but much more than that. In our New Testament reading, we heard, I think, three practical steps to transforming our lives. If we do them, our lives will be changed, and we will be able to throw open those shutters like Scrooge did on Christmas morning. First, Scrooge's problem, if you think about it, was that he was very much in charge of his life, and his solutions didn't work. James says, let God be God. Let God be God. As James puts it, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow because of change. Bottom line, we don't have to be in charge of everything like Scrooge was. We don't have to be executing these solutions that we think work but keep us in darkness, keep us miserly, keep us cold, keep us curmudgeonly. It's been said that if we are playing God, trying to control everything and everybody, we're not letting God be God. And God wants 
to relieve us of the burden of control because it is impossible. Where do you think perfectionism comes from? Because we're trying to control everything and not letting God be God. It turns out that God wants us to rest and relax in Him. He wants to bless us. He wants to guide us. So why not let Him? Why not let God be God? There is great relief in doing that. The relief of gratitude, of humility, of trusting Jesus to work things out short and simple. Letting God be God is an easier way to live. That's it. It is practical, good stuff. Second, when it comes to conflict, James says, listen, slow down and examine your own heart instead of reacting in anger. Listen, slow down, and examine your own heart instead of reacting in anger. And of course, because this sermon is being preached today, God gave us an opportunity in a Chevy Silverado last night on A Street to experience this equation, the details of which shall remain my own. But we had a test, I'm telling you. As James put it, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, that is, quick to listen, and slow to speak, slow to anger. Now look, let's face it, Dr. Phil could have given us this advice, right? I mean, this is just good stuff. Is there something more here for people of faith than just conventional wisdom? Yes, there is. James goes on to say, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, so put away filthiness and wickedness, and receive with meekness. There's an attitude, a receptivity. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to, to save your souls. Hmm. It's been said that eternal life doesn't just begin when we die. Eternal life is already underway. We are already experiencing it. And so there is some sort of spiritual soul-saving process going on when we listen when we slow our anger and in the process save our marriages, improve our relationship with our kids, smooth over conflict with co-workers. This is soul-saving stuff if you think about it. It is comforting, wonderful, reassuring 
stuff that makes eternal life different than earthly life. The spiritual and the practical are meeting here. It's an intersection. When we listen, when we take some time to think about what may may be motivating the other person, we might be able to consider, how would I like to be treated if I was messing up? Or what is that ticking thing in their hearts from way back when with their parents or an original experience of betrayal or hurt? What is going on? Or what might I have contributed to the situation, to the conflict, such as in that Chevy Silverado last night, which we're not going to talk about? Or even better, how does Jesus see this person, this conflict? How would he respond? There's the difference for us, for people of faith, from just the Dr. Phil common wisdom. In his letter to the Christians in Corinth, Paul asked, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Hmm. This is either a happy turn of words or this is real. Given some listening, thinking, and praying, Maybe we can come to see this offending person with the eyes of Christ because he is in us. And we might be able to see (coughs) with his eyes, respond like he would respond. Don't know if you've ever tried this, but I have, and it is... It's an amazing thing because it's sort of like, whoa, whatever I'm bridling under, whatever I'm about to pounce on, softens. And I'm able to just take a step back for just a second and see it how Jesus would. So, Jesus, help me to see this person. Help me to see this situation like you do. Help me to say or do what you would That is certainly soul-saving. And it's exactly why why James tells us to slow down so that we can pray this prayer, so that we can ask these questions. And remember, he said meekness. He, he, He suggests that we want to check our attitude, meekness, Not weak, as the word might imply, but perhaps uh, calm, thoughtful, letting God be God, willing to suffer through a few moments of conflict so that we can respond with compassion after the fire of anger has cooled. And you know, more practical stuff, when you respond that way, it feels better, right? When you don't, you feel like a jerk. It's, it's real simple. So first, we relinquish control. We enjoy the relief of letting God be God. Second, we 
listen, slow down, examine our heart, try to see the conflict through the eyes of Christ. And then third and finally, James says we are to get proactive. Not just to think about these things, not just to think about these situations of conflict, but to actually do these things in these kinds of situations and out there in our relationships with anybody, everybody, by helping and serving. Get proactive and do them. As he puts it, be doers of the word, not hearers only, because that is deceiving yourself like I did for years. I knew about this stuff, and because I knew about it, I didn't have to do it. Strange, but I was too busy doing everything else I wanted to do instead of what God wanted me to do. If anyone hears this wisdom and doesn't put it into action, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, goes away, and forgets what he was like. Kind of an odd uh, descriptive there, but if you think about it, you look at yourself in the mirror, you walk away, it's as if what you saw or how you appear is meaningless. That's the bottom line. Remember from Paul, Christ is in us by faith in that still small voice of the Holy Holy Spirit. It's not just a theory that we know about. We've got to turn it into action to make it real in our lives, in other people's lives. As James puts it, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is not this stuff. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to actually visit orphans and widows and keep one's self unstained from the world. James is saying we must not just do, or not just, I'm sorry, think about faithful and good things. We must do them helping, serving, visiting those in need. And you heard the list in our other readings this morning about who are we to help and serve the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame. And Scripture makes it clear it's not just the physically blind, deaf, mute, and lame. It's the emotional emotionally blind, emotionally deaf, emotionally mute and lame. It's the spiritually blind. It's the spiritually deaf, mute, and lame. The prisoners, the righteous, the fatherless, the widows, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And of course, the great summary of who we are to help is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, economically or in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Anyone who has experienced a loss, physically, of a husband or child or family member, or maybe emotionally, of a betrayal 
or of abuse. Blessed are the meek, the people who are trying to have that good, softer attitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who need and want justice, those for whom the feeling is is that I've been done wrong, which pretty much identifies every single member of the human race at some point, right? All of us have felt that. And there are others on Jesus' list, too, in the Sermon on the Mount, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. In other words, helping those who are helping another is a good thing, too. Those who are being merciful, help them out. Help them in their acts of mercy. Obviously, James is saying, just like the Nike commercial, just do it give, serve, help. And if we balk, he points us back to looking at our own hearts again. He writes, show no partiality. If you are presented with a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing and a poor man in shabby clothing and you pay attention to the one who is dressed up, aren't you making distinctions and judging? Well, of course, we don't do that, right? We help the poor guy, right? Yeah, and uh, some of us, uh, I'll be glad to admit, uh, I've got self-serving motives under the hood sometimes when I'm doing stuff or helping somebody out or whatever. Might gain a little advantage myself, that kind of thing. Very subtle, very quiet. So we are supposed to be aware of that stuff, right? So three pieces of practical wisdom for living this morning so that we can be not the grumpy curmudgeon-y Scrooge, but the loving throw-open-the-shutters Scrooge, relinquish control, enjoy the relief of letting God be God. In conflict, Listen, slow down. Take a look at our own hearts. Maybe even get to that amazing point where you pray to see this other person with the eyes of Christ, with the eyes of compassion, and respond like he would. And finally, don't just think about it and know about it, but do it. Get out there, love, live, serve, open those shutters, and help others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that the Bible, uh, Lord, is full of beautiful stories and amazing thought-provoking things, but it is also full of rubber-meet-the-road, practical, workable things for us to live it out. I ask you to guide each of us in that this day and this week. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.